and welcome back to the First Cut Podcast with Kyle Porter. I'm Chip Patterson. That's Kyle Porter. And on the show today, it is the return of Sean Martin of PGATour.com. Sean, welcome back to the Danger Zone. How are you feeling today? Wow. Uh, that was eardrum splitting. Uh, <laughs> what an intro. I can't live up to it. I'm just I'm shook. What? Shook? He's shook. Kyle, how are we feeling? I'm good. I'm I'm uh I'm fired up about the the second half of the Hawaii swing. I'm I'm excited to talk some golf with Sean today. Um Sean, the what was your we've got a, a lot to unpack here today. We of course are going to be uh previewing the Sony and we've got the uh, you know some some news to break down, but in terms of the first cuz that's right, we have been in the the new season for what 12 13 events. Who's your Who's your MVP? Who's your Player of the Year? Uh, you're way too early. We just had to release our way too early uh, 2019 college football rankings at CBS Sports. What's your way too early Player of the Year for the 2018-19 PGA Tour season? I mean, Xander's gone back to back in PGA Tour starts, so I'm gonna go. Uh, I gotta go Xander, right? No, yeah, abso- best round of the year. Absolutely, performance fair. of the year. Mm, fair, fair, right there, Kyle. Who would that? You be on Xander too? No, I, I'm I'm JT. Just although I did, I, I picked Spieth to win three times this year, so maybe I should go Spieth. I, I just feel like, I mean, I've said this probably in like five straight pods, but I I think that JT is just in this space where he like wants to, like he's very hungry to win everything that he plays, and I think I don't I don't know that kind of goes down this rabbit hole of like oh who wants it more and who's you know I think that's kind of dumb, but I I just. I think he is really locked in right now, and I think he's going to have another big year. Uh, one of the most anticipated. Oh, we're talking about player of the year for the whole year. I misunderstood the question. No, I think Kyle misunderstood it. I was just going to let him rock with it. Mm. <laughs> okay. Based, Kyle, what would you say? Is it Xander based on what we've seen so far? Yeah, him or uh, yeah, Charles Howell. Throw him in there. Let's go. <laughs> no, it's it's Xander. I mean, it. Again, like we forget sometimes these events that are played in the middle of the night in in Asia. I mean, I, I know that sounds dumb, but you just forget who won them because you're not you're kind of watching, you're kind of following. They're in the fall, but to win that that it, the the China event, that's a big deal. I mean, it's a good field, uh, and so for him to win that like he did, and then obviously, I mean, that. The 62 that he shot at Kapalua, that might that might go down as as the round of the year, and we're eight days in. I mean, it it, it might not, but it it has a pretty good chance to be at least in the top three or four. 62 with a bogey. I feel like I, I feel like I've had to uh, always come back to that. 62 with a bogey on a par 73. Yeah, he's 11 under on what his last 14. Hold out twice. Had a puffer eagle on 18 that he missed. Yeah, uh, I mean. It could have been even lower. It was pretty silly. Very silly. Uh, Burned the edge on a couple other eagle chips. Mm. One of the most anticipated events of uh, the 2020 golf season is going to be the Ryder Cup, especially from the, you know, we went so hard on the 2018 Ryder Cup. And then if you are an American golf fan who's listening to this, it was massively disappointing. If you are a European golf fan who's listening to this, yeah, that's right. I see y'all on the downloads. We are globally listened to. Then I'm sure that you were elated. And I, I'm sure that you know nothing made you happier 
than to see uh, that pin get walked all the way back in uh, as the, the champagne's being sprayed on the tee box. So, a little bit of news before we get into the preview. We've got Patrick Harrington named as the 2020 European Ryder Cup captain. Uh, just sort of some, just something that to, to kick around here. Sean, I'm going to start with you. Does the the Ryder Cup captain often becomes someone who has to shoulder a lot of blame and they certainly have to answer for a lot of, uh, you know, criticism or, you know, to describe their thought process. How much influence do you think the captain ultimately has in in this world? And I don't know the European, um, you know, committee, but I know that on the American side, we've got, there's just a lot of power players beyond just the one singular captain. What's your understanding of, of the European tour dynamics and I guess as a bigger question, do you think that who the captain is ultimately matters? I think for Europe, it matters less. They just have such a, like a strong infrastructure. Uh, the, the captain obviously kind of is the figurehead, but there's just, he's really put in a place and so much that the captain has to decide. I think he's already kind of decided, you know, you have your vice captains who've done it before you have your, you know, they're helped because the European tour uh, is more involved with the Ryder Cup there. Uh, and so, you know, you can do things like pair players together before the Ryder Cup to get them experienced together. Um, I think a big thing, too, they're really they're deep in the numbers, deep in the analytics game with the, the 15th club. And there's been articles just for months talking about how important the 15th club was to finding the Mollywood pairing and stuff like that. So that takes a lot of pressure off of the captains because really one of the things that Bjorn was lauded for was that he – you know, stuck to the process, quote unquote, after they fell down, what, four nothing or three to one after the first session. And he just stuck with kind of what the analytics told them, kept those teams together, and then they dominated. So really, when you're, when you have that much of a system in place, it takes a ton of pressure off of the captain. So I think the captain's important. You want to get guys pumped up and you want a captain that guys love playing for, uh, who they want to represent well, but also they just have such a strong infrastructure that it does take a lot off of their hands. Hmm. I'm going to say, for what about for the American side? I think the American side is still searching kind of for that identity. You know, they have the task force, but then, I mean, do we have to re-task force after Paris? Um, I don't think they're as deep in the analytics side of things as Europe is, and I think that hurt them. I think there were some, you know, some pairings that were made in Paris that if you did it by a number standpoint that wouldn't have happened. There were definitely some you know, things that left us scratching our heads. And so I think that America is still trying to decide, I think their captain has a lot more power than in Europe. And I think they're still trying to decide how much of it is, you know, it's kind of like baseball, like before Moneyball, like the manager ran the whole thing. Now it's like you have teams like the Dodgers where it's like the front office is basically running things. And the manager is more of like a, you know, he's the middleman between the front office analytic guys and the players. And I think they're still trying to figure out that balance of like, what is the captain's role? How much power does he have? How much do we use things like analytics to tell him what to do? Um, I think they're still searching for that combination. Kyle, what about you? What do you think? I, I really like something that, that Sean touched on there. I, I think that it, it's really interesting because it, when we look at these European captains, we never really talk about them uh, the way that we do American captains. Because whenever Europe wins, it's it's never like, oh, Thomas Bjorn or Jose Maria Othabo galvanized everybody. It's just the Europeans know what they're doing. Like we talk about them as a, as a whole construct and not just the individual captain. Whereas, and that goes when they lose too. It's not, it's not like anybody at Hazeltine was like, Oh, Darren Clark was a terrible captain. It was, Oh, well uh, the Americans just had better players. So it does seem like there's less 
of a of a um, I don't know hierarchy or power structure there. And and but with the Americans, it's like oh Jim Furyk did this or uh, Davis Love did this, and and we it just seems like we talk about the ca- the captains very, very differently, even though they're doing almost the exact same thing on either side. Yeah, but this is obviously just part of our. Uh you know, our, our fascination to want to just put the blame all on one person rather than share it, right? Or can, I mean, can we get this into deep cultural ties, Kyle? Can, can we draw this out? Can we make big, broad strokes based on the way we treat our Ryder Cup captains? <laughs> well, I do, I do think that, yeah, I think the, I think the power, there, there's, there's these, uh, I think I've brought this up on here before, but I think the power structure in America is, is more, is more, it, it it's reflected in the way that uh, we view captains at Ryder Cups, and I think the same thing in Europe. It's 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 less. There's less of a uh, power distance between uh, leaders and the people that are following them, and I think I think you see that in in the way these teams are captained. Sean, um, my favorite tweet. Go ahead. Oh, my favorite tweet last year from the Ryder Cup, I think, was this guy Richie Hunt, a golf analytics guy, and he just tweeted, "Why does everyone lose their mind at the Ryder Cup?" And it's because we try to like. We feel like that's to be a reason for everything. So we have to assign blame. And, you know, if they had just let this guy play more, well, then he automatically would have gone undefeated and they would have won. Or, you know, if we had sat this team and, you know, sometimes it does. And I think we kind of realize that it just comes down to golf and who played better. But we always search for a reason. And so obviously the captain is going to get blamed just because we need some kind of explanation that's a lot sexier than, well, they just played better than us. What uh, do you, do you, will you ever, Sean, Leave the pin in, in playing yourself with the new rules. <laughs> I mean, I do it all the time. No way. Uh, no, you're joking. Well, just to, I mean, more like, uh, you know, tapping it in or something like that. I, the thing, I get the science. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of good hashtag science that says you should leave the pin in, but there's no worse feeling than when something strikes the middle of the pin and bounces out. And you're like, oh, if I just pulled the pin, it probably would have gone in. So I don't know. I, I liked JT's quote last week about that if I had an eight footer to win a tournament, like I just couldn't take myself seriously if the pin was in like, and then, you know, he's talking about the TV cameras pan out and there's the ball just leaning against the flagstick. Like for him, it just would look too weird uh, on a Sunday on the last hole. And, and I think I would take it out except for just pace of play purposes. Mm, no, nah, see, I'm a, I, th- I think that I've, I've really honed in on, on where I fall on this and, and I am, I am all about shadow angles, and I want to get those shadow angles out of there. So leaving the pin in, it's going to do nothing for my eyes. It doesn't fit my eyes. Let's yeah, get it if, out of there. You, what if the pin shadow is right on your line? It's perfect training aid. Yeah, but mm. guess what? The earth moves. That shadow is going to move. You can't, you, you can't wow. just hone in on it. How long you need over br- your ball? <laughs> we need, yeah, seriously. I have we so need, many pace of play. Com- I have so many pace of play complaints because I'm just sitting around uh, trying to narrow in on my earth angles. We need Bryson to talk about like the axis of the the Earth is spinning on or something. Um, the all right, back to you, Sean, because you you have been known as a Roy McIlroy uh, hater here on the First Cut Podcast with Kyle Porter. <laughs> Maybe in comparison to Kyle's love, but there's no one that dislikes Rory McIlroy. Yo, you have to play foil. You have to play heel here. This is this is the, you. You can live your life as a perfectly unbiased, neutral Rory McIlroy take Smith elsewhere, but we've got seven straight times 
Roy McIlroy has been in the final group. He has been unable to convert. And win conversion has been one of the more fascinating topics that Kyle's been writing about and talking about. And I'm it, it tickles my brain too. I'm I don't know I don't have any sh- strong um, you know lot threads that I can draw between all the statistics, but it it certainly feels like relevant information. Um, you know, hating ass Shane Ryan's writing about Roy not being a good finisher anymore. So like what, you know, where, where do we stand here? Is, is this, is, is the idea about Rory is the statistic of Rory, uh, not converting these last seven times of being in the final group. Is that as phony as the clutch gene or is maybe there's something to this? Yeah. Let me break out some hashtag math first and then we'll get into more of like the touchy feely stuff. Okay. So Rory, uh, Kyle's use of the, the freeze gif the you know the brave sprinter uh reminded me of a tweet that i sent after rory won at bay hill using same gif that in rory's 13 stroke play wins on the pga tour his final round scoring average is 66.7 like his first pga tour when he shot 62 in the last round to win bay hill's most recent one he shot 64 in the final round to win and so you talk about like playing the final group that can mean so many things like sunday he's playing the final group but he's three shots back like your win percentage from three shots back no matter who you are is pretty low. And it's like, you know, we slap guys for having poor 54-hole lead conversion rates. It's like, well, were you leading by one or were you leading by four? If you're leading by four, then, yeah, you should win. If you're leading by one, I think people have, like, less than a 25% win rate with that small of a lead just because, like, if you're leading by one with 10 guys right behind you, like, you still got to play really good golf, and the lead is pretty inconsequential. So I think that that final group thing can be kind of misleading because if you're playing the final group, but you're pretty far back. Like the Masters, he was three shots back. And like, he definitely had his opportunities there. He didn't play well. He didn't close well. Uh, I give him a little bit of a pass there because you are trying to complete the career grand slam. It's super hard to do. So I think that it's a little bit of a, uh, I think it's a little unfair to Rory. Uh, I mean, I think he's so introspective that it might be in his head a little bit. And I definitely think Augusta's in his head, but I also think Rory's just one of those guys that he knows pretty early in the round, like if he has it or not that day. And when Rory's on, he makes it look super easy. I compare him to Fred Couples because, like, Fred Couples made it look so easy that we're just like, why can't you do that more often? It looks so easy. And Rory's the same way, and I think he has his rounds where he knows right away, like, I'm locked in, I'm going to go low. And then there's just days where pretty quickly I think he just knows, like, I just don't have it, and there's really not much I can do to kind of turn it around. Yeah, it's interesting because it's almost like, and I think we've seen this to a lesser extent with Spieth, it's almost like because you won – I mean, Rory won like six or seven times in his first 60 events on the PGA Tour. And because you won four majors by 25, you you get on this trajectory that, I I mean, it it appears to be unsustainable for him. And so now everything that he does is within the context of like what he did when he was 22 to 26. And so we're comparing everything to that. But I'm with you. I made the point on Sunday about... The the fifty four hole lead thing is is kind of a it's not a dumb stat but it, it needs to be like parsed out like did you did you have a seven stroke lead like DJ did in China at the end of two thousand seventeen when he lost to Justin Rose or did you because that's a that's a disaster I mean that's awful uh, or did you have a one stroke lead over like three of the top ten players in the world There's just such a difference there and it matters uh, in in the way that we talk about it especially with with somebody who we're talking about not playing well in the final round, but at the same time, like yeah, yes, at the masters, he was down three, but he also shot a 74. Like, yeah, it, it was good. 
Yeah, I mean, it, like the there there have been rounds where he's played in the final pairing and just regardless of what everybody else does, he just hasn't played well. And so I, I don't I don't know I I don't I tend to lean more away from saying like it's it's in his head he's got he's got final round issues or whatever, but it's certainly going to be a storyline and I think he knows that it's going to be a storyline going forward. Yeah, having uh, one of the most. Having one of the most, if not the most, like raw talent, gifted golfer on the entire planet being entirely introspective is something that we're not um, particularly used to in recent years. You know, we've we've got all these golf robots, and uh, what it, I mean is is Rory the most uh, mindful superstar in golf right now? Is probably yes, but what the most since when? I'll throw that to either one. Jump in. Rory might be like Duval territory. And partly I say this because they both drew attention for like what they were reading. So like this, there was this huge deal of Rory reading essentialism right. after he lost the masters. Uh, and then Duval, of course, there was all this attention because he read uh, the fountainhead. So like all of a sudden Duval was like the intellectual on tour. Cause he read a book and, uh, <laughs> and now I think Rory has, kind of has the same just, rap. Just and one, he, one book. <laughs> I'm sure he's read others. Uh, but like, I do think the hard part with Duval is that he achieved all this success. And then partly like his head got in the way of like, man, this just isn't as fulfilling as I thought it would be. And he kind of, that was part of his downfall. Uh, I think Rory still has hunger for success. I don't think he's checked out. I think he still finds it really fulfilling, but he has talked about how other things fulfill him. And, and then also like, I think things do get in his head because of the introspective, then they're harder to shake than if you're just, you know, like a Dustin or a Brooks and you just kind of go on to the next thing. All right. Um, Co- covering real, real quick, covering Rory makes me want to write about like Rory. bigger picture, bigger picture things. Like I feel like covering JT or covering Kepka or whoever. Like I just I, it makes me want to write about golf. But when I cover Rory, I'm like, oh, I want to write about uh, just, just all the like philosophical things. I, I know that sounds crazy, but that's just that's just the way that I think about. Uh, life and like bigger picture stuff whenever I'm covering him or what he's talking about or what he's doing. And I think that's pretty interesting. And I think that um, it's pretty rare. Uh, I, I mean, I know it's rare in golf and I, I think it's even rare in, in all of, all of sports. All right. We've yeah, got, I think it takes some bravery to talk about it just because so many sports psychologists tell guys like, you know, just take it one shot at a time, throw out those cliches. And so I think a lot of guys feel the things that Rory talks about, but he's, I think he has some bravery to to admit that because then he's held accountable to those things when things don't go well. Yeah. Over under Rory McIlroy wins in the 2019 calendar year, one and a half, Sean first. Wow. You would think this would be an easier choice than it is. I think, I do think I'm going to go over. Like I just, he wins at least one most years and he usually wins more. I, I mean, I think we're kind of, we're hard on the guy. I think because, Everyone loves seeing him do so well that we're kind of hard on him. But, like, he did win Bay Hill. He finished second in the Open. Like, it wasn't a horrible year. So I'm going to go over. Kyle? Yeah, I'm over. Are we including the the European Tour events or just PGA Tour? So I was PGA Tour. Mm, yeah, I, I guess I'll go over. Well, was, I, I mean, it, is there a difference when Rory's coming out here talking about how he, he doesn't have any time for that <laughs> no world ranking points PGA European tour? 
and then and then wore red, white, and blue the first two rounds of Century. Mm. Troll job. Total was, troll that job. That was incredible. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got some more over-unders, plus, of course, our uh, Sony Open preview coming up right after this. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym, and Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it, and it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the Men's Sunday Performance jogger because I I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, They've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there, and I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now, here's what you can do for four our listeners. Uh, First-time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. All right, Sean, have you gotten a chance to take a look at uh, Kyle's list? This was a, a topic that we we sort of started to kick around a little bit on the last show, but uh, very curious to, to get your list. We're talking about uh, the top golfers under the age of 30. And when you wrote it, uh, did, you, did, did we include the get Rory out of there uh, clause, Kyle? Well, I just did Americans, so he was already uh, out. Unless he unless he's changed his citizenship already. After all that red, white, and blue. All right, so American golfers under thirty. Sean, do yeah. you have a do you have a list? Do I have a list? Yeah. Uh, I don't. I thought Kyle's was pretty good. You do? No, no, no. Uh, Justin Thomas at one. Brooks Kepka at two. Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth at three. Bryson at four. Xander at five. Would you line them up just like that? Uh, pretty close. I, I let me let me pull let me pull my CBS Sports app real quick and fire this list. I got to see it in person. Uh, so here's here's the thing. It, it breaks pretty nicely into three tiers. So the top tier is pretty clearly. Uh, JT, Spieth, and Kepka in some order. I think you could argue whatever order you want there based on at, at any given time based on who's playing well. And then I think the second How tier is, is not on this list. <laughs> I think I think the second tier is in some order Bryson, Patrick Reed, and Xander depending on how they're playing. And then I think the third tier is uh, Patrick Cantlay and Tony Finau. And you could throw, I guess, like a Daniel Berger or somebody like in, in somebody like that into the third tier. Uh, I, I guess you could throw Cameron Champ in there, but th- those were that. It, it seemed like that was kind of the the pretty clear like three tiers of American golfers under thirty right now. I like this list based on like what's happened currently and maybe not so much future casting. Uh, I do. 
Reed, I mean, Reed's got a major. It's not a guarantee he's going to win another one. But And the thing, I mean, like Bryson doesn't have the major resume that, resume that Patrick Reed does. And I think that ball striking does win the day. So I think that I like Bryson at four. I kind of wonder if Reed goes ahead of Shoffley just because, I mean, Reed's got a major. He finished second at PGA that JT played in. Played well at the U.S. Open at Shinnecock. Like, I would, I, I have to slot Reed, I think, uh, ahead of Xander. Yeah, I, I have no, I have no argument with that. I thought it was interesting. Uh, we always talk about strokes gain, Sean. Uh, Xander has never finished inside the t- never finished. He's only been on the PGA Tour for three seasons, but he hasn't finished inside the top forty in strokes gained overall. And so That's what? Crazy. What that? It, what that tells me is he's taking advantage of. He might have five tournaments a year where he's really feeling it, and he's taking advantage of those and and won when he's when he's you know his chip set on sunday blacked out uh and, and so i and and that's always hard right like is it is it better to is it better to be xander or is it better to be ricky fowler who's in the top 15 in strokes game but doesn't win I, I don't know i don't know who the better golfer is xander misses maybe a little more cuts than your top guys i think that's where maybe there was some Xander maybe flew into the radar a little bit last year. Maybe there was some talk about him being underrated or overrated, but I think that was because like his times when he was in contention, like he was <laughs> at the top of the leaderboard, he almost won the open, you know, he won some other time, he almost won the players or finished second there after Webb just annihilated all of Northeast Florida. Um, but <laughs> he did miss more cuts than most guys. And I think he had a lot fewer, you know, finishes where he was in contention. I think lately we've seen more contention out of him and just a little bit more consistency. But I think the reason that he was kind of sliding under the radar was that he was either winning some big event and we were freaking out or that he just wouldn't see him for four or five weeks. Okay. So what about as we play out the, the many, many years of this young star's career, Xander Shoffley over under 10 career wins. I think that's silly. I think it's over. I mean, he's already, he's 26 years old and halfway there. I don't know if you're planning on him having like a rotator cuff injury or like a, car accidents or i don't know something else but like i think it becomes the fact that as you go i think that as you start to very quickly move up the career win the you know career wins list the list gets thinner and that you'd even if you get off to a really really hot start that it is unsustainable given the amount of golfers i mean i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and go uh under on the number but i i i think that double digits for a young star who might have a, a plateau or an injury, I think it's a fair number, but I'll go over. What about you, Kyle? I'm going over. I'm under. Wow. Hot take. No, Kyle's got me all well, this. Is it the same? Like, you just look at the list and you just realize there's not a lot of golfers that have gotten up there. There's not a lot of golfers that have gotten up there. And he's playing in the most, I think, the most competitive era ever on the PGA Tour. And his, I think his wins have outpaced how good he is. I just look at the strokes gained, and I'm like, it doesn't match up with how many times he's won. So to me, there's a correction there that's coming. Uh, I, I think. I mean, I might be wrong about this. He, he might actually be like a top 15 guy in strokes gained. He's number one on the on the tour in 2018-19. So he might finish, you know, fourth or something. I, but I, I just. I don't know. I, I, I worry a little bit that his wins have outpaced how good he actually is. Kyle, you pitched this number uh, in our pre-show planning, and so I, I'm going to need how many, how many winners, how, how many PGA Tour events do we have in a season? 
Uh, there's like 127. <laughs> How many for real? 47. 47, I think. Okay. Yeah. So 47 PGA Tour events. We've already had, what, 13, 14? Uh, 10. I'm going to say 10. 10? Okay. Um, winners under 30 on the season. Kyle set this number. 20 and a half. So you're basically... The, the argument is... You believe that in in the context of looking at this list where we're, we are mentioning absolutely, if you were to power rank the golfers right now, most of them, Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, Bryson DeChambeau, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Reed, Patrick Cantlay, Tony Finau, we are talking about in the golf world, many of the over half of the top 15 probably power ranking style are all under 30. And your your argument is that as we, as we look at a 47 event season, um, just uh, i guess that 20 and a half that almost half of the winners will be under 30 are you going over or so under the, there there's i'm going over there's been nine events so far and six of them have been won by guys under 30 kevin toy well, is kevin toy under 30 sean uh he's close man he's i think he's, he's like close. I, I think he might be at 30 he played in college with ricky and ricky's 30 but he might be like 29 He's, uh, oh, he is 30. Oh, so, oh, okay, my number's wrong. Five of the nine winners have been under 30. So it's Kepka, uh, Xander, Cameron Champ, Bryson, and Xander again. Uh, the other four were Charles Howe, Matt Kuchar, uh, Mark Leishman, and Kevin Tway. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go over. I, I, I can't remember. I think Justin Rice tweeted the number from last year. It was, it was high. Higher than it's been, I think maybe ever. I think I think it might have been a, a record, at least in recent years, in terms of average age of the winner. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll go over twenty and a half. Sean, I'm I'm going over Hideki's five wins help us get there. Uh, <laughs> but I do think one of my favorite stats. This is twenty five and under, so a little bit lower. But the last two seasons have been the two highest win totals by twenty five and unders in tour history. Um, and then they surpassed the 2000 season when the 25 and unders won 10 times, but that's because nine of those wins were by Tiger. Mm. So we are looking at like an unprecedented crop of the youth. And so I think I have to, you have to vote in favor of the youths. Got it. <laughs> the youths. Uh, all right. As we turn our attention to the second half of the Hawaii swing, uh, we've got the Sony open. We've got more night golf. Uh, as, as you look at this tournament, how much like when, when someone gets hot around the around the the Hawaii swing, Sean, how much value do you put in into those wins? Because in one sense, they're so early in the in the year that uh, you could look at it as a predictor of success for the rest of the calendar year. But it also, I I think that from the uh, just the rhythm of coming off of the break and then you get started and then you've got the travel back. It, they also can be a little bit of isolated events. You go back to them, and and like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, you're like, oh, like you you were talking about it with the Asia tournaments. You, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. He he won at the Sony. So how how much value do you put into even not, maybe not even the winner, but the performance of some of golf superstars um, as they are out there in Hawaii? Yeah, I think with anything, I think we we just get overhyped uh, whenever anyone does win, and I think I mean golf's just so silly that. 
you do kind of live in these like three week spurts at a time. And so what you do in January has very little bearing on what you're going to do in March, April, May, June, July, and August. And so I, very little, but I do also think that, you know, this is where JT kind of bucked his head in the 2017 season. You know, he played well at Kapalua, won there, blisted. Then he sets the 72-year-old scoring record, shoots 59 at Sony, and so it did set the stage. So I think that if, if a player has been on the verge of breaking out, they can maybe establish themselves uh, early in the season. But then I do think that it's just, you know, it's too hard to tell. There's just too much time, and golf is too fickle of a game. The big thing, I think, is like for a rookie, if you have a rookie win – and all of a sudden now he's got that two-year exemption locked up and he can kind of freewheel it. Like Cam Champ right now, you know, that Sanderson win was huge just because not only what the tournament it gets him in, but he doesn't have to worry about keeping his card. So he can kind of freewheel a little bit. So I think the big one, too, is if you have like a highly regarded rookie who can lock up that two-year exemption, you can see him maybe take his game to another level. Well, yeah, and the the other thing is a lot of times if you win, I, I mean, so Xander right now, Xander's in the Tour Championship pretty much based on what he's done so far. And so you, you've almost got this connector at the end of the year that, okay, I've played well so far. I know I'm going to be in the Tour Championship. And so you, it just gives you a lot of freedom in between that uh, to, to just go and, and play your game, you know? And so I, I, think, that, I think that that's a lot of it. I, I think that getting to the Tour Championship is a big deal. And I know we joke about FedEx Cup points and whatever, but I, 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 think, that, I think that matters. And, and if you look even... Even last year, Patton Kazire winning twice, winning the Sony. He was in the Tour Championship, essentially. I think he was like the 30th guy. But he was in it after that win. He didn't do anything the rest of the year, and he still made the Tour Championship. So I, I think that part of it is important as well. Just, uh, just to sit there and all of a sudden, like, the way that it opens up for the rest of the season. Yeah. All right. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get into our expectations. Do you... Uh, what what what's a, a big big story that you're following? One from each of you. I'll go Kyle first on this one. Well, it's it's cliche, uh, and I'm not proud of it, but I really want a, a Patrick Reed, Jordan Spieth, uh, just them paired together, or them in a in a shootout on Sunday, just something. I mean, we haven't we haven't seen we haven't seen anything. Uh, we haven't seen them together in the, on the same course. I don't think since since Paris. Uh, Reed thinks that Spieth need, needs to call him to to work things out. I don't know. That seems crazy. I don't know why he thinks that. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm here for the drama. I wanna I wanna read Spieth uh, shoot out on Sunday. What about you, Sean? Uh, I was gonna ingratiate myself to my host. I was gonna go Charles Howell the uh, third. <laughs> I think he's nineteen he's for nineteen. I know. He's never missed a cut. He's finished, like, top ten more than half his starts here. He's got, I think, like, four top threes, but he's never won. Obviously, he won the RSM, ended that winning drought. He's been working a lot on his swing with his two swing coaches, which is very on brand. Um, but they're very confident that this is a, a new Charles with a swing that will better hold up under pressure, and Wiley is a place that fits in, like, perfectly. So I think, you know, he could pick off a win here, and now all of a sudden you have Charles Howell third with the first two-win season of his career, like, you could have a guy who at 40, you know, reaches a new level. Um, we've seen guys do it before. I think Francesco was 36, I think, last year. Uh, Jimmy Walker had his best years at like 36, 37, won a major. So I think that, you know, Charles Howell turns 40 this year, but 
it could potentially, if he does win here and gets that second win, you know, we could have a, a year where maybe Charles Howell breaks out and does something. Um, that would be amazing. That, no, it would be amazing. Like that's and, and amazing. Uh, it would be amazing and incredible. As in, I do not incredible. I do not believe it's going to happen, and I would not. Would not <laughs> I might not believe it if it did happen. I mean, the guy had to wait eleven years between wins, and now he has to wait like, I mean, three starts. I don't know. I he plays so well at Wildlife. It's insane. And actually, plays at gonna... Corey Pines too. Like, I, it's happening. What if he contends at the Masters? He's from Augusta. Do you know that? <laughs> Does Gary Woodland play basketball? <laughs> that I don't. I don't like that as the the hook on the Gary Woodland line because uh, it should be known that if you're come from the state of Kansas, you play basketball. Yeah, like does, no, that's it's like college college basketball. Every yeah. every everyone in Kansas plays basketball. <laughs> Listen, everyone in Kansas plays basketball. The game, uh, the game started there. Peach baskets, y'all. Uh, Justin Thomas, <laughs> Gary Woodland, BDC. I think it started in Springfield. Whatever. Illinois. Didn't it? Is that where no, Dr. James? Huh? I think it was Springfield, Massachusetts. Is where Dr. James Naismith created the game. Yeah, that's where the Hall of Fame is. There, I think. Oh. Um, I don't know. Anyway, who's your pick to win, Kyle? When I think about uh, the Sony Open, I don't think, wow, somebody like Gary Woodland would really dominate this, this event. But he's had some really good finishes. I think he finished in the top 10 last year, uh, and he's really played well. So, uh, I mean, coming in off of, I think he's had seven top 10s in his last eight events worldwide, played great at the Tournament of Champions, has played great at this course before. I'll, I'll take him to, uh, to get over last week's heartbreak and, and get another win. Uh, and, uh, Sean, you are right. Dr. James Naismith, before starting the men's basketball program at the University of Kansas in 1896, invented the game as a YMCA physical education teacher in Springfield, Massachusetts. So So we both won. I I guess I think you take the dub on that one. So give me, give me, (laughs) give me a winner. All right. Well, I already said Charles Howell. So without repeating myself, I'm going to go Justin Thomas, just because I do think kind of like what Kyle was saying with Gary Woodland, like it is a course where short hitters can, uh, can contend it's not very long but it's also a place where long hitters can just do like ungodly things to this old golf course and take lines <laughs> that like you know there were those those jt pro tracers from his wing where he's like hitting at 45 degree angles from the fairway and taking over trees and just like hitting wedges into par five so if a guy like that does have a good week with driving it they can just uh just stick it to seth rayner and just make him roll over in his grave i guess <laughs> i didn't i didn't realize this is a rainer by the way yeah oh yeah oh. is it that's why zach blair is it like a, a classic rainer i mean yeah of course i mean they're all classic rainers i think he died in like 1950 mm. uh it's being redone yeah, by Tom Dunn. but I, I don't the, i don't the fried egg is on the scene he's all over this one okay i i, I don't they're hear bringing, i don't i i just don't hear about it talked about I don't hear about it talked about in the same conversation as some of his other courses. Sure. Well, I do think Tom Doak is uh, doing a, a work on a, a couple holes a year to bring back some of the Rainer. Yeah. Rainer good. vibes. What did, what, did, what did Zach say that, that year he had that shot into 18, that three wood into 18? Do you remember that? Uh, the the, the, the microphone. Dirty to me, but I think, 
that was Justin Thomas, wasn't it? Like, yeah, oh, that's so good. Or I, th- something? I think he said, he said, oh my god, that's so good, or something like that. <laughs> and then Fabian Gomez beat him in a playoff. I'm, I'm going to go Justin Thomas to win. Don't don't you guys feel like JT has replaced Spieth as like the guy who if he's in the field in just like a whatever event that that you he's like the default pick to win? Or Dustin Johnson. Yeah. I thought Dustin Johnson was that forever. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe he was. I, I don't know. I just feel like if JT's in any field, I expect him to contend and probably win. You said that exact same thing about Dustin Johnson like a year ago at this time. If Dustin Johnson well, starts, I think he's gonna win. Nobody remembers that. Nobody remember. Nobody listened to that episode. Uh, thousands of people, not tens of thousands, <laughs> but at least thousands of people did listen to it. I have statistical I pro- evidence. I did. Well, then maybe JT's replaced DJ. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a worldwide oh, audience. Yeah, yeah with yeah. the globe, yeah. we are globally downloaded. Australia, Japan, United Kingdom, England. I don't know if I've ever seen another country beyond that, but. We've got those, baby. We're down. Uh, hey, Sean, let's do this again. Is that cool with you? Sounds good. All right, you can follow Anytime. you can follow Sean on Twitter at PGA Tour S Martin. You, of course, you can always follow Kyle at Kyle Porter CBS. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thanks, Chip. <laughs>